Good morning, everybody. The Bible reading is taken from Jeremiah, chapter 36, <laughs> verses, and then chapter 31. In the fourth year of King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that when the house of Judah hears all these disasters that I intend to do to them, all of them may turn from their evil ways so that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Barak, son of Neriah, and Barak wrote on a scroll at Jeremiah's dictation all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Barak, saying, I am prevented from entering the house of the Lord, so you go yourself, and on a feast day in the hearing of the people of the Lord's house, you will read the words, the Lord from the scroll, that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the people of Judah who come up from their towns. It may be that their plea will come before the Lord, and that all of them will turn from their evil ways. For great is the anger and the wrath that the Lord has pronounced against his people. And Barak son of Neriah did all that the prophet Jeremiah ordered him about reading from the scroll the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Then the king sent Jehedi to, the, to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishan, the secretary. And Jehedi read to the king all and all the officials who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in his winter apartment. It was the ninth month. And there was a fire burning in the brazier before him. As Jehedi read, the, read three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a penknife and throw them into the fire, into the brazier, until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Barak wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the scroll, which King Jehoiakim of Judah has burned. Jeremiah 31. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them out by hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. A covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach each other or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Amen. Have you ever noticed that sometimes megalomaniac leaders just don't know when to quit. Can you imagine the kind of leader whose denial of the truth might lead them to extraordinary lengths 
to suppress those who try and speak truth to their power. From controlling the media, to undermining fair elections, to silencing voices that challenge them, these tactics are as old as the hills and as contemporary as today. From King Jehoiakim of Judah, to the ideologies of communism and fascism during the 20th century, to the denial of the election result in Trump's America, some leaders will do anything, literally anything, to hold on to power. There's a famous quote from a play written in 1821 by the German writer Heinrich Heine about the burning of the Quran during the Spanish Inquisition. Heine said, where they burn books, so too they will in the end burn human beings. And ironically, his own works were themselves, a century later, on the list of books destined for the Nazi book burning purges. And again and again through human history, we have seen it to be true on every side of the political and religious divide that where freedom of expression is smothered and independence of thought is extinguished, so the destruction of persons inexorably follows. Words become flesh and both are burned. From the Spanish Inquisition to Islamic State militants, from Fahrenheit 451 to Orwell's 1984, book burning has functioned as a potent tool of suppression and control. I don't know if you've ever been to the square in Berlin where they have the book burning memorial. It's, uh, it's the square where, where the books were burned and you go to that place and there's just this glass, um, like a large glass paving slab uh, and you can kind of walk on top of it and look down. And as you look down, you find yourself looking into a library from on high. And this is the memorial to the books that were burned there. It's very moving. One of the earliest examples of book burning is found in the Old Testament in our reading today from the book of Jeremiah, where King Jehoiakim of Judah sought to silence the words of the awkward prophet. The background here is that we are now in the late 7th century, some hundred years further on from last week's reading we had from the opening of the book of Isaiah. And Jeremiah's ministry spans the fall of the southern kingdom of Judah to the Babylonians and the beginning of the time in exile in Babylon. It also sees the ending of the Davidic ministry, uh, sorry, the Davidic monarchy, as the descendants of the great King David degenerate into hypocrisy and corruption. So Jeremiah spends much of his early ministry proclaiming God's judgment against the king and the temple. He accuses the temple of being a den of thieves, a critique later revisited, of course, by Jesus. Perhaps, understandably, Jeremiah made himself rather unpopular with the king. And by the time we get to our reading for today, he's already been excluded from both the temple and the palace altogether. His time as a special advisor to the king had certainly come to an end. He's been fired and given his marching orders. I wonder if he had to carry a cardboard box out on his way out. The king doesn't want to hear what Jeremiah has to say. But never one to give up. Jeremiah writes it all down and sends it with Baruch to be read to the king. And as the king hears again the subversive critique from Jeremiah, he takes a knife, cuts the text up and burns it in the fire. It's a vivid example 
of the kind of opposition that those who critique social evils can usually expect to face. Those who take a stand with Jeremiah in naming evil and calling it out can expect those who do not want to hear their message to cut them dead, to burn their words. And this is true today, just as much as it was true in the 7th century BCE. Just think about the way those who would speak inconvenient truths in our world are treated. From the shameful belittling of Greta Thunberg in the British media for her message of climate crisis, to accusations of bullying against our political leaders, those who would speak truth are often gagged and bound and not listened to. Of course, the truth cannot be silenced forever. And Jeremiah's words have endured long after Jehoiakim's power faded. Another more recent example of the burning of scripture comes from here in London, just under 500 years ago. One of my great treasures in my study is a photograph of the front page of John's Gospel, taken from the first edition of William Tyndale's New Testament. It was given to me by my college principal, a certain Brian Haynes, known to many here, when I completed my studies at Bristol Baptist College some uh, nearly 20 something years ago. William Tyndale was of course the first person to translate the Bible into English from the original languages. He's the person Melvin Bragg once called the most dangerous man in Tudor England. And there are only three copies remaining of William Tyndale's first edition of the Bible in English because the rest were seized as they entered the country in 1526 and they were burned in bonfires in London overseen by Cardinal Wolsey and Cuthbert Tunstall, the Bishop of London. In a scene which could come straight from Wolf Hall, 6,000 of Tyndale's New Testaments were burned on the steps of Old St Paul's Cathedral, despite Anne Boleyn and Thomas Cromwell's efforts to reconcile Tyndale and the King. And one of the three surviving copies ended up in the library at Bristol Baptist College, which is where my photograph of the front page comes from, but it's now in the possession of the British Library, who have it on permanent display just up the road from Bloomsbury in St Pancras. When he heard that his Bibles had been burned, Tyndale famously remarked, no doubt they will burn me too if it be God's will. And sure enough, a few years later, he was caught and burned at the stake for daring to translate the Bible into English. You see, books are more than words. They are ideas made flesh. They create worlds and they invite us to enter into the worlds they create and to start living those worlds into reality. Books are dangerous. Words are inflammatory. Ideas are incendiary. A similar story could be told about Martin Luther, whose writings were condemned by the Pope in 1520 and ordered to be burned. Luther famously himself then burned a copy of the papal bull ordering the burning of his works uh, and he did that in Wittenberg almost exactly 500 years ago. We're coming up to the anniversary on the 10th of December. A bishop burned Bibles for being in the wrong language. A pope burns the writings of a reformer for challenging his authority. The reformer then burned the writings of the pope for trying to silence him. Catholics burned the Quran for being the wrong religion. Nazis burned books that threatened their ideology, and Jehoiakim burned the words of the prophet Jeremiah because he didn't want to hear them. 
And still today, people systematically silence those who speak truth to power. And into a world of such silencing, we need to hear once again, I think, the stories of the word made flesh. When God speaks words of salvation and restoration, they are spoken in the person of Jesus. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And the written records of those stories of Jesus, the Gospels and other texts of the New Testament, they make these words real to us in our world also. Today is the Feast of Christ the King. It's the final Sunday of the Christian year. It's the day when we celebrate the Lordship of Jesus, whose authority transcends any earthly claim to power. And kings and popes and reformers and emperors and presidents and dictators must all in the end come to recognise that their power is at best derivative of the ultimate power that is vested solely in Jesus Christ. And that if they try to silence voices of truth in the interests of preserving their power, ultimately that will founder because the ultimate truth is the word made flesh in Jesus who comes to us as a baby born in a stable. Simon Hill, a friend of mine who has worshipped with us sometimes at Bloomsbury, tells the story of the origin of groups such as the Baptists. He says, for politically progressive Christians in the 17th century, support for King Jesus meant opposition to the kings of this world. No king but Jesus shouted a good many parliamentary soldiers as they marched into battle, and they were not the only ones. A century before, the Anabaptist leader Thomas Munzer told an aristocrat that he had no right to be a prince over the people whom God redeemed with his dear blood. But, Simon Hill goes on, the tradition goes back much further to the days when early Christians were persecuted for refusing to recognise Caesar as Lord. Only Christ is Lord, they said, and they had their scriptures seized and burned as well. This, of course, is the insight of William Tyndale. It's the very reason he wanted the Bible in English. He believed that the words of Jesus had the power to take on fresh life in new languages, in new cultures, in new ways, not restricted to Latin or Greek or Hebrew, not owned by the monarchy or the priestly aristocracy, but rather rendered into English so that everyone could hear them from the scholar to the ploughboy in the field. The kingship of Jesus stands over and against all attempts to silence or suppress the word of God. No amount of burning or cutting can in the end silence the truth of the gospel, that God is for all and in all and through all in Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel that we too are called to be true to, to live out and to proclaim. So let us take heart. Let us be full of courage. In a world where it seems speaking out can sometimes get you nothing but criticism. Let us know that where we speak out for the cause of truth, for the cause of the gospel of Christ, our words have a longevity that cannot be taken away from them because they are the eternal words of Christ, made flesh, 
in our lives as we speak and live them into being. Amen. Thank you very much, Simon, for this thought-provoking sermonette. Let us take a few moments in silence to reflect. Let me now open our panel. Let's, let's open that uh, panel discussion and a reminder to all that uh, you're all very welcome to contribute and, and some of you do that already on our chat, uh, which we can open and we will refer to. But uh, let's open the discussion among the, the panelists here. Who wants to, who wants to start? Well, I've, uh, I've, I've uh, first time ages taking notes in a sermon for my, uh, you know, because I'm because I've got to do this. This is what it is. Um, I, w I was intrigued by the level of detail that the word of God was made to those people. You know, it, it, the the written bit and the fact that he had to rewrite it and the commitment to communication that God has with His people. Is tremendous, and you know, and the inclusion of that, where you know, not just the Judea, not people from Judah, but people from around the world will get to hear and change. And I think the, the commitment to communication that God has to us is amazing. I just, you know, that's my opening thoughts. I hadn't thought that, I really like that. Um, and it's, I guess. Simon did it on purpose that I'm a librarian and we're talking about books. I don't know if that was serendipity or not, but um, yeah, that concept, I love that concept, Nigel, that God is like, let's communicate together. Let's do this together. This is my plan and I'm, I'm including everyone and I'm communicating it to you. And there were so many parallels, you know, throughout history and I love seeing that in the bible especially as we're coming into advent looking at the parallels that go through history like right from the you know book burning is not new and we haven't got any at the moment but it doesn't mean that the same concepts of silencing the truth is not something that's massively <laughs> relevant actually um yeah I'm waffling, I'm going to stop for a minute. Evelyn? Yeah, we, we live in an age where the truth is difficult to spotlight, and uh, so it was very interesting. And um, Simon's message reminded me of a book which, is, which I would highly recommend, which is called To Kill the Truth from uh, Sam Bourne. If you don't uh, know it, it's about burning, um, like, Libraries. libraries and um, to eradicate history basically and it's very interesting because as Simon said as well you start with books and then you move on to people and you can see that today I mean when things are said and then uh, that there are very sharp reaction against people who said them so, yeah, and the end of the message and the end of the reading as well was very interesting because I found the beginning very difficult to understand. And then the end where it opens up to everybody is really the solution. 
and the idea that you just keep going as well because he went well i'm gonna burn what you said and then god's like well just write it out again we're gonna we're just gonna keep going with this we're not gonna just take no for an answer um which is something that i learned this week i was on some citizens uk training about how to organize like community organize together and that was one of my takeaways from the day that you don't take no for an answer if you don't get the answer that you want you go okay let's go back and reflect and say just because the this is the way that things are in the world just because the people in power are saying well no this is the way it is and you're going to have to lump it um that you shouldn't just go okay that's that's the shame that you you go back and you go no this isn't this is not okay and we're going to continue to like call you out on it until something changes and I know as Christians we can find that quite frustrating because sometimes we go well we just want to get things done <laughs> we just want it to happen um and actually sometimes it is a long haul thing and it is about proclaiming our our truth and God's truth over whatever narrative our situation is trying to um say instead but it can be difficult it's quite a, a rich debate debate de developing already on our on our chat there one line being one line of thought being you know how much should we actually filter our books and uh, jeff there saying i bought my granddaughter now 12 a copy of pussy riots nadia tolokoniva uh, riot days however my wife and daughter my wife and daughter have not let her read it they objected to the rather, col rather colorful language. I also bought her Mike Berners-Lee's There is no planet B, which did not suffer the same fate. And just saying, if parents are worried about the content of more adult book, then they should read the said book and then encourage their children to do so. And further saying, it depends on the child's reading age and cognitive ability. There's this whole question on who is the judge, on who is the master editor here in deciding what is to be read and spread and what should not. Who and where's that line as well? Because, where's that line? Um, yeah, and um, as a librarian, I could talk about this topic for days, actually. Um, censorship and, and books and um, America especially loves in schools to dictate what children are allowed to have in their school to read and in their library whereas in the UK we don't really have those kind of restrictions and as you can see from the chat it's it's more about you know who is in charge which is the parents like having access to material um, and it's a hard debate it's a hard debate but in my experience we take in our own understanding of a text. So, you know, as we all, without Simon in kind of teasing out that passage, if we'd have all read that passage just by ourselves on our own, we would have got very different things from it. And a lot of things would just go over my head. A lot of things would be too difficult for someone to understand. You know, a 10 year old would see it in a very different way to me. Um, and my personal thing is that you should, that's fine. You take from it what you want. You shouldn't say to someone you can't read it, but that's, you know, we're not talking about that really today. 
Um, but that's why I love this kind of discussion and that's why we need people like Simon who've got, done a lot of training and Nigel who, you know, you've had some training and discussion and we don't ever read it in isolation and we've got all this history as well to help us try and interpret and apply things. Yeah. I, know, I know that the redactor might have a hand in this, but it always impresses me that uh, Jeremiah 31 comes before Jeremiah 36. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever, whichever way you look at it, you know, the, the, the commitment to an individual promise of growth and relationship comes before that if you don't listen, you know, if you don't listen and you're going, yeah, you know, the God of love reaching out constantly to his people, yeah, is, is, is a good message from the Old Testament if we can uh, redact it rightly. <laughs> Interesting message from Veronica here, who's a, a writer. She says, I've always regarded the king's actions in burning the scroll as radical editing. As a writer, I'm heading on my gravestone, the words of Pontius Pilatus, what I have written, I have written, both an affirmation that though I will not have written all I wanted to, what I have written is still worthwhile. <laughs> Interesting and I think important point. And I can see that um, Veronica's also written the Bible is um, full of sex and violence. If it was published today, people would want to ban it. And um, I, <laughs> I once did this project on children's Bibles and the illustrations across history of like what is chosen, which stories get put into a children's version of a Bible and which illustrations get chosen to put in. And what we put in today is very different from say like 18th century or like Victorian times, they would put in people's heads getting cut off and dogs ripping people apart and stuff because and bears, you know, um, all the stories that now sometimes we think, well, maybe they're not the children's version. Maybe we'll leave those for you to explore later on. Um, but it's, you know, the purpose of a children's Bible in past times was much more like, do this or you'll get in trouble, I think. Um, and it's very reflective of what what we choose to put in now and then. I read further from the chat. I do not think from Peter, I do not think that we should restrict access to any book unless in a literal sense, not to do so may affect the safety of the society in which it is read. But if equally, if we all, if we are all to allow free access and thereby free speech and opinion, we much also we must also accept that other people have the freedom of speech and opinion to say what they believe. Um, I saw some others on that same uh, topic. Sorry, I've Facebook. lost. Facebook has come into some challenge this week around what it allows and what it doesn't allow, and uh, you most of us will go, "Oh, we don't want that." Yeah. So it's um, it's it's gone to court, and also you know it's really had a a big a big backlash but there's also the stuff around the paywall that all the real information is behind a paywall like if you want to buy news if you want to read a newspaper you've got to pay for it but you can get free stuff which isn't always the truth yes sandy reminding us that uh, i hadn't noticed some of the comments very interesting comments that are posted are posted to panelists only might be good if they could be shared with uh, all attendees uh, because I'm, I'm not able to read them to read them all 
it was very interesting, I thought, to uh, see how uh, various news channels had taken on to basically uh, gag uh, now uh, um, President Trump uh, after, after the election, actually, you know, cutting off the sound uh, mid-speech uh, mid just because uh, he was telling, you know, facts. He was telling, he was making statements that were simply not, not true and not borne by, by facts. You know, on that occasion, I think it was the right thing, but it does again raise the question on, you know, who, 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 has, who has the power to, to decide what is, what is truth? It's a very, very topical subject. And I would say it's quite um, passive. If I go back to children, because that's who I work with, um, they're not reading newspapers anyway. Where do they get their books from? Um, where do they get their information from? It's very easy in the UK that um, censorship is quite, it's not overt. So, you know, our public libraries are, I mean, not during COVID because COVID just makes everything different, but in non-COVID times, if you just stop funding libraries, if you stop funding schools and you go, it's fine, people can just do their own thing. Um, and, you know, public access to things, internet access, um, that's the kind of slow way that censorship happens in, our, in, in the UK, really. Um, so that's just something to be aware of. Um, it's not as overt as getting the books out and burning them in the street, but it has the same effects. So we have to all be aware of, yeah, speaking truth to power, as Simon put it earlier. There was a question a little bit further up. Uh, I think, Simon, this one is to you. If Simon could expand on the consequences that God put forward and the bravery of the king not to listen, but then burn the straw. Also, God, God planned to forgive. Yeah, I think there's this really interesting question about what's going on with God here, um, you know, in terms of God's judgment. And there's different ways of reading it. So you can read it that, you know, God is about to smite the unfaithful Israelites for being disobedient to him. And that's certainly part of the presentation. Um, there is also a way of reading it that... Um, it's kind of like a warning that if you carry on behaving in this way, there will be consequences. And I guess if you, you can imagine two different models of parent, can't you? You've got the do what I say or I'll belt you type of parent, or you've got the if you do that, there will have to be consequences because actions have consequences kind of parent, which I think is kind of the more responsible one. Um, and I think that that that's probably what's going on here. Jeremiah is saying, you know, if the king continues to behave in this despotic way, uh, then the nation is going to be vulnerable. And, and so that is what happens and the Babylonians come in. Uh, is the king brave? I think the king is foolish. I mean, foolishness and bravery can often look like each other uh, in, in, at the beginning. Um, I don't think the king is so much brave because I don't think the king believes this is what God's saying. I think the king thinks he knows better than Jeremiah. Um, but it, I, I think the, the God's plan to forgive things, Solomon, that's really interesting. And I, I was grateful to um, Nigel for mentioning that earlier as well. That little quote from uh, that Isaiah 31, with which the reading ends, even though it's from earlier, is pointing out that, you know, despite human 
fallibility and sin and unfaithfulness. God is always at work with a longer game, wanting to draw people back to God's love and, and to wholeness and forgiveness. And that, of course, plays out in Israelite history over the story of the exile and the restoration. I hope that sheds a little bit of light on that. Thank you. And I'm, I'm just reading uh, Jeff's last uh, contribution. Am I unusual? I learn more from disagreeing with books than agreeing with them. And he reminds me uh, a friend of ours who deliberately subscribes to what he thinks is the opposition newspaper and reads the news from there because that gives, at the end of the day, a more balanced view and it stays a little bit more far away from this confirmation bubble in which we all tend to lock ourselves in, in only looking things, uh, that, looking at things and reading things that we actually agree with. But for several of us on the left, that's nearly all the press, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Are there any other thoughts by anyone? <laughs> and Veronica saying, I find reading things I profoundly disagree with is too bad for my blood pressure. Well, okay, let us, uh, it's a very rich subject and indeed uh, we, we could go on uh, for a long time uh, about it, but let us perhaps uh, close this chat at this point. Thank you very much to all um, panelists. Okay, let's pray together. Creator God, we thank you for the opportunities you give us to work with you in building your kingdom. And as we enter into Advent season next week, help us to have a renewed vision of what the good news of Christmas means. We pray for those in our world who combat climate change in their work, their protest or their daily actions. We pray for those who are starting their journey of becoming a new creation in you, who have found time during COVID to seek your face and your will for their lives. In our hearts and homes, we pray now for all those who need your creativity in their lives. Holy Spirit, stir up our hearts to help create your kingdom. Redeemer God, we pray this anti-bullying week for all those in power or responsibility during COVID, that they would lead well, that they would seek to find power with rather than power over. We pray for all those who are being bullied or who are recovering. We pray for those who are working above and beyond to serve others at the moment in their jobs and in their homes. And we also pray for our trustee team and our employees here at Bloomsbury as we navigate the extra barriers which COVID brings. In our hearts and homes, we pray now for all those with responsibility. Holy Spirit, stir up our hearts to speak out against injustice. 
sustain a God. We pray for everyone who is part of our Bloomsbury community whilst we are scattered one from another. And we pray for those who are finding lockdown lonely and isolating. And we pray for those we know who are ill, who are or who are in mourning at this time. In our hearts and homes, we pray now for all those we know who are finding life difficult. Holy Spirit, stir up our hearts to walk humbly with you day by day. Amen. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord smile upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord show his favor to us and give us peace. Amen.